welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Yeah, I can't leave the game set up on my table in the basement anymore. The new cat knocks all the pieces everywhere. It's kind of, it's getting on my nerves. Hey, adventurers, welcome to episode 75 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. And uh, I haven't really heard any sort of news on it, so I'll still say I'm King Scott. <laughs> yeah, send us a message, uh, hit us up. I don't know where they would even do it, to be honest with you. Ah, hit it on Facebook. Send us a message. I mean, it's easy enough. Instagram us. Yeah, send it. it say we want him to still be the king. Uh, at least that's what I'm rooting for. It flows off the tongue. King Scott. Excellent. Excellent. I like that. Scott, we got a fun episode today. We're going to be talking transmissions for the review. We're going to be looking back at Cry, and we've got some recent plays, which include Dungeons, Dice, and Danger. The Ghost Betwixt. Ooh. And sticking with the Halloween theme, Azul. You have no idea how scary those little <laughs> tiles are. Let me tell you what. I got an email two days ago. That, I mean, I'm sitting at work, which first of all, this is the first time. I haven't had a job in three and a half years. Adventures, I'm a stay-at-home dad, right? My wife, she took work and I got to stay at home. Uh, and I wouldn't trade that for the world. But when people ask like, oh, what do you do? I would kind of half jokingly say, oh, I'm retired, which I kind of <laughs> felt like I was. I didn't think she was going to – you see how I'm framing this? I didn't think she was going to yeah. make me go back to work. I didn't think that I was going to feel the need to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. But uh, the threat of virtual schooling uh, is basically diminished now, diminished to the point where eh, my wife's like, you know, you have 40 hours a week at home. You could probably work for a few of them. So that's the plan. But I'm sitting at work and I got an email that I, I almost like shrieked out loud. I was like, look back at the office. What's happening there? ISS Vanguard will be here on Monday. Nice. Yeah, I know. I'm getting all antsy. Like I'm seeing everybody else showing their pictures on Facebook and it's like, that's going to be me. <laughs> that is awesome. So yeah, I, I'm anxious to hear your uh, your thoughts on it because I didn't really go into it that much looking at it whenever Verse was on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. But now looking at it, it's like, oh God, that's just like right up my alley. That looks really cool. So I get the feeling it's a game that I'm going to play solo. Or, or we'll play it together and review it, but I don't think it's like a, you set it up and two hours later you're done with, you know, you, you've experienced yeah. it. Uh, it's not that type of game. It's more like, I think it's more like a tainted grail type of setting where you, not setting, but type of game where you play yes. it out. Yeah, multiple. I know what you're saying. Yeah. I'll probably do it solo and then pass it off to you and then you can do it solo. Okay. Maybe we'll do a review at some point having both of us played it solo. Well, that may work because this next month in November, I'm going to be very hard to find. I'm going to be traveling all over Pennsylvania with work, so uh, I'll be looking forward to solo plays in the hotel room. Mm. So Jimmy sent me a fan-made print and play. I didn't share this with you yet. He sends me this thing. It's a, It looks like Nemesis cards and stuff, but with the right. Predator from the movie Predator. I was like, oh. well, what? What Jimmy? What is you? What am I looking at? He sent me the print and play files for a fan made expansion for Nemesis, a Predator expansion. Oh, 
that is that's very cool i mean now then is it made up that you are just to have the predator on the ship or is it predator and the i have nemesis no non-ip idea. infringing no idea sky i saw the pictures you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna put some of the details in the show notes so adventures you can look in the show notes and uh hopefully so long as it's allowed i'm gonna have something down there for you to click if you want to look into printing and play in your own predator expansion for yeah, for Nemesis. I thought that was kind of cool. Super Snipers is live on Kickstarter. This is the one that I was talking about. It's a polyomino mm-hmm. game. I mentioned it a couple episodes ago. Dude, Level Up's quoted on there twice. And actually looking at it, I had to back it myself. You got in on Super Snipers. Dude, the price is right. Yes. Solid. Yes, game. it is. Fun use of polyominoes. Uh, quick playtime. You know, for what for what it is that you know it's, it's mm. compact. I think that one's a winner. Cosmoctopus by now should be live. That would have been two episodes ago if you're listening live. Right. Will even mentioned it last week. He's like, "Did you guys see Cosmoctopus yet? Is that good?" <laughs> I know that one does look very cool. Will's uh, whole thing of like pushing it and you talking about it. A space octopus. It sounds awesome. Oh, and it is. It is, man. It's, let me ask you a question. Yeah, I sent you a message right. the other morning and you responded something like, you know, I can't right now. I'm running. Or it's oh, something yes, that like yes. I was like, oh, is he out for a run? Uh, like, like is, is he running to get groceries? <laughs> is he running around town? Or is Scott physically like going for – were you jogging? No, 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 no. This body doesn't jog. Oh, I'm sorry. Scott. No, I was just running all sorts of errands. I was all over the place trying to get things ready, meeting a couple people for lunch. It was just a crazy day. So that was the big thing there. But thinking about crazy, you were talking about Kickstarter and – I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to do it. And then I had to click it and say, yes. What'd you back? So I am now backing Monty Python's co-curricular medieval reenactment program role-playing game. (laughs) It's a mouthful. (laughs) Yes, it is. And it just looks absolutely brilliant. I actually did it in the time period that I get my free exclusive and highly practical head of light entertainment sash for the BBC. So I'm thoroughly joyous about all this. Who are you going to do this with? I have no idea. I, I may not do it with anybody, but I just know that. I mean, any book that was money Python, I think I have in this house. Huh. You know what? I'm, I can't, I can't relate because it's not that I'm not a fan. I just, I never got into it. I don't know much of anything about it. It's like old British humor, right? Oh, it is. This was the whole thing here. Whenever we got married, my wife and I, we bought each other uh, a gift for, for a wedding gift for each other. My wife, I bought her a pair of diamond earrings. I thought, oh, that'll be very nice. My wife knows me. She bought me a box set of every single episode of Monty Python's Flying Circus on DVD. <laughs> it was, I I mean, I it brought tears to my eyes whenever I opened that thing up. I was so, I mean, so happy. The standard gift is like, you know, the wife said a skippy little nothing, uh, turn on mm-hmm. the Barry White or something. No, mm-hmm. you, you got Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> yes, I did. And it made me happy. Scott, let's get right into recent plays. And I want to start with one called The Ghosts Betwixt. Okay. 
Scott, I am one episode into the Ghost Betwixt. I, I wanted to uh, to break out the Titans card holders and, and get some pictures of the game because it's got all these really sweet cards and bits and the artwork's fantastic. Kind of like a retro 90s comic art. And that's kind of the, the setting of the game. Think like – think kids on bikes like Stranger Things but not okay, yeah. 80s. Mm-hmm. Think 90s is what they're, what they're shooting okay. for here. Um, Dustin sent us a copy of the game like – Eight months ago, it's been forever. Sorry, Dustin. Finally got around to getting through episode one of it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to talk more about it as I get to episodes two, three, and get a little bit deeper into the game. For now, I want to at least like throw out the intro. So, played mm-hmm. episode one. I was like, I have some things I can say. What are other people saying? So, I went on BGG and I found one of the reviews on there was from basically the name of the re- the reviewer who did this written review. I was like, oh, dude, that's Tiny Fred. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally Tiny Fred. And I haven't talked to Tiny Fred in ages. Uh, last time I talked to him was seeing if he was going to Origins, which unfortunately he couldn't. He's hoping to be at PAX for all three days. So hopefully you can oh, meet fantastic. him. Yes. Yeah. F- Fred, we're playing a game and we're going to get a beer or if you're not a drinker, a coffee and we're going to get a meal or something. I-, I haven't been able to formally sit down and hang out with Tiny Fred having kind of known him now for a couple of years. So it's going to become official. I, You know what? I think Fred and I can change our Facebook status to in a relationship after <laughs> PAX. That's the goal. <laughs> okay. We had some audio from Fred, but it just didn't work out well for putting it into the episode. So with his permission, I wanted to share some of his thoughts on the ghosts betwixt as he's played it a bit more than I have. And hopefully in the coming months, I'll be able to revisit this one a bit and see if I share Fred's feelings on the game. First, some flavor from BGG. Young Richie has been kidnapped. He was last seen taken into the Bennett family's farmhouse, which transforms into the worlds of terror haunted house during the Halloween season. The Bennett haunted attraction has fallen on hard times as thrill-seeking audience begin opting for more impressive haunted houses found in the city. However, the Bennerts own the ultimate wild card, and they will play it tonight to resurrect the family business. Join Richie's family, Bill, Joan, Avalyn, and Maddox, as they battle the Bennert family in this campaign-driven cooperative dungeon crawler. Now, first of all, Fred titled his review, My New Favorite Dungeon Crawler, which, knowing Tiny Fred, I think he's played a good many dungeon crawlers, Gloomhaven included, so I I trust his judgment on the genre. He starts with a quick play guide. There's a lot of details in the rulebook that you will want to read up on and learn, but the quick play guide was very helpful in getting me going early. I always appreciate it when a publisher puts in a quick play or a tutorial guide. That way I don't have to spend hours reading before touching the components and then try to remember everything that I've read. Just throw me in the environment, give me the most important basics, and let me refine my knowledge later. This quick play really does that in a great way to get your feet wet. No pun intended, since you start in the bathroom. Now, I got to agree with Fred on this one. I love when I can start playing a game and sort of learn the nuances as the game goes. And I think Ghost Betwixt does a good job of getting players' faces in the game and out of the rulebook as quickly as possible. Fred touches a bit on the method for starting equipment, which uses time as a resource. And I thought this was really cool. Rather than being given things outright or allocated a few, like, crappy starting items, you have a nice variety and each item costs time. Think of it like you're running through the house trying to grab stuff before you get out the door. So you want something that's handy, it might only cost you 10 minutes, but that thing that's in the rafters, uh, you know, in the garage, that might take you more time to acquire. 
Mission setup in the Ghost Betwixt has an interesting way of making sure that the layout is going to vary from one play to the next. In Fred's words, Traditionally, campaign missions have always dictated the layout and position of objective, doorways, and enemies. So if you replay missions, you'll always know what to expect. The Ghost Betwixt uses a great randomization method for creating the tile layout and what is included in the rooms. The mission guide instructs you to create a pool of map tile tokens that will be randomized in a stack, and three other tokens, uh, monsters, treasures, events, per map token, randomized in another stack. As you open doors, you draw a map token and three room tokens. This will represent the next room and place what is in the room. Then you roll X, Y locations for objects like you know, traps, monsters, that sort of thing that were drawn to be placed in the room. The monster tokens are numbered, and the mission guide instructs what monsters to add when you draw the token. In my playthrough, this unexpected environment layout added a surprising element and made the room generation more exciting. In addition, if a door room token wasn't drawn, or if a tile has more than one exit, you draw a new map token with another three room tokens. So in a playthrough, you may just open a door and be presented with one room and X monsters. At another door, you could end up laying down three tiles with many monsters. That variability is excellent for replayability. To me, it reflects a real environment of the House of Terror. Not every room in a house has doors, so there are rooms and hallways connected where occupants can become aware of your presence. Now, Fred points out that rooms aren't the only variable, but the monsters have some randomness based on the weapons that they're allocated. Like, you might have a lackey that acts a certain way, but another one with a different weapon assigned to it at random might behave differently, and that's kind of cool. It keeps it fresh and unpredictable, which I think a lot of dungeon crawl-style games, I think they tend to struggle with, honestly. Fred also speaks of the combat in the game, which is a dice system, but one that offers players some control and cares about the positioning and facing of the characters. Myself, I thought it was intriguing in, in my very early playing of the game, as you get to choose whether you're going to be offensive or defensive in a given combat, and it actually affects the dice at your disposal. In my first run through, combat didn't prove to be a chore, so that's a relief too, and I hope that that continues as I continue along my campaign. I gotta say... I like the theme of the Ghost Betwixt, I like that the characters can level up, and I think this is one that you're going to be hearing about from me again in the near future, so long as the new cat stops knocking pieces off of my table, because I want to set it up and want to solo play it in the basement over the next few weeks. You know what? I, I really like the sound of this now, when you're saying about mm -hmm. Stranger Things in the 90s. Um, whenever you get through a little bit more, or you're moving on to something else, let me let me borrow that. I got to give that thing a try. Awesome. Yeah, I, th I think you'll like it, Scott. I think you'll enjoy that one. Cool, 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 cool. You're talking about Ghost Betwixt, and I saw the pictures of it, and I saw all this chatter going on about it. But one on thing I Instagram. did notice yeah. about there is I did notice you had those little Titan card holders in there. Yes, yes. From the You listened to the commercial last mm -hmm. week. Yeah, we use those for holding up the characters. I, I'm loving using those things. Well, the thing is, I actually went there. Um, <clears throat> I used our discount code and I ordered some myself. <laughs> well done. So I you ordered know, Hold on, time out. I wonder if whenever we get these discount codes, these companies are like, two people used it and <laughs> the two people are us. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, maybe well, this leads me into my other comment here. 
I actually got them. I didn't really use them for game stuff, but I used them for to-do lists to have right in front of my computer whenever I'm doing work and everything in the computer. Keeps it right there. Mm-hmm. Keeps me from going on my phone and like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do it. Oh, there's something on Facebook. I need to look at that. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like completely out of the zone of working. So mm-hmm. I used this and I used it with uh, Rocketbook stuff. I love Rocketbooks. They're awesome. I posted it on uh, Rocketbook group on Facebook, and the conversation started picking up. People are like, oh, look at this. Look at this. Well, then someone went on, and they looked up on Etsy, and they found Titans. And then the person that makes them, he got in touch with us. He got on the group. And then he started talking. All these things are going on, and I'm hoping that this is building a whole new idea of how to use these things, because they are incredibly useful really really great stuff yeah i try and incorporate them when i can into our pictures on on facebook and on instagram and whatnot they're just they're they're so cool i mean even on the etsy thing i had to give my review about it with using it and uh, putting a little level up board game podcast business card there (laughs) There (laughs) always the push a little cross promotion never hurt anybody now, we didn't formally say that we were sticking to a Halloween theme in any capacity, so I'm not really bothered by the fact that Azul is on here, but it's nice to see you getting a classic back out. Tell us about it. Well, yes, I got a chance to play Azul. Now, I didn't play the actual physical one. I played it on BGA. Mm-hmm. And Azul, a lot of people know this. This was um, kind of like the next chapter of Sagrada. Everyone went crazy about Sagrada. Then Azul came out and everyone's like, wait, this is the new big one now. So this mm-hmm. is from uh, designed by Michael Kiesling, published by Next Move Games. Uh, so what happens in Azul Azul is all about making artwork on the wall with these tiles. So introduced by the Moors. It was the Moops. The what? The Moops? Come on, Scott. It's the Moops. Okay, it was the Moops then. (sighs) (laughs) What am I missing? Go on. Just talk about Azul. Oh, right. do your thing. So you are a tiling artist that you're challenged to embellish the walls of the royal palace of Avora. What you do is you have a bunch of little tiles. There are five different styles of the tiles. They could have a star on it. It could be a solid color. It could be like a snowflake. But what happens is you have little discs that are laid around and you put four of these tiles on each one of them. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a player board that has a grid on there, a five by five grid. And along the left hand side of it, you have one square. The next row down, you have two squares. Next row down, three, then four, then five. You can put tiles in there to put on where you want to make the artwork on the walls. Like you're trying to satisfy patterns, right? Exactly. There's a pattern that you want to follow that they have on that five by five grid. Mm -hmm. So you want to get the same color tile onto that square. Now, whenever you take a tile from one of the discs, you take whatever are the same color discs. So if there are two black ones on there, you'll take two black ones. The other two will go into the center, which is kind of like a group of all the extra tiles that are left over Mm -hmm. that people can draw from. You will then place these tiles on your little tableau builder on front of you, your player mat, and then you place it on the squares. 
what will happen is you fill out all the entire square from the one to two to three to four to five. Once everything is full and everyone has drawn all the uh, tiles, you will then place the tiles on top of the same color symbol that you have on your five by five grid. Mm -hmm. Whenever you play it on there, you'll get a point for it. If you play it next to one that's already been there, well, you get an extra point for putting it next to another one. If there's one below it, hey, guess what? You get a point for it going vertically and horizontally. Okay. So you want to try and go along here and build up these designs, but keep in mind that you want to try and keep them together, not scattered willy-nilly all over the board. You want to try and keep them together in one area so you get more points. But if you draw more tiles than you can actually use, you lose points for them. So if you draw four of the red tiles, but you only have the space for three of them, well, three of them will go out. But on the bottom of your playmat, you have a minus one for that tile. So you'll lose one point for that one. And it goes up. If you are really crazy and you grab all these tiles, well, the first two, you'll lose one point. Guess what? The third one, you're going to lose two points for it. And it goes up there from that whenever you're doing that. It's an interesting game to play. I've never played it before. And uh, so oh, this was that, the first go with Azul. This is the absolute first go with Azul. Yes. Wow, okay. Somebody that knew me from the Renaissance Festival hit me up on BGA and we started playing games and he started throwing out all these different ones and inviting me to play Azul. And I'm like, I've never done it. Let's do it. I like it. It definitely has that thing where you're building the the tiles. It's very similar to Sagrada. So if you played that, you can kind of jump on the uh, uh, the bandwagon with playing this quickly, learning mm -hmm. rules quickly. It's very unique. It looks really great on the table or on the screen whenever you're doing it. I'm glad I finally got around to playing this. I feel that, one, I feel good for actually playing it. But two, I feel that... I should have played this a lot earlier. <laughs> Is it one that you would buy? I don't know if I would actually buy it. I mean, it's fun to play. It's one that I enjoy playing it on BGA, where mm -hmm. you can play it and you don't have all the pieces laying all over the place. No setup. I feel, yeah, yeah you'll have the tactile enjoyment of grabbing these tiles, much like uh, Block and Key, how we love those blocks yeah. in there. Oh, this but, one, they're um, like Starburst. They're uh, wonderful. <laughs> Oh, God, I can only imagine kids trying to eat these. Oh, mm -hmm. man, I never even thought about that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's really a, a very cool game. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I've uh, I've been playing it quite a bit lately, too. So uh, that's been taking up my time between learning lines for the show I'm in next week and playing Azul. I feel like next episode, you might have to be prepared for two-game enter, one-game leave. <laughs> oh, let's do it. Let's do it. One of the most popular games in the hobby, and the oldest in the BGG Top 100, is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best Crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. 
Adventurers, you know our style. When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm -hmm. for Adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, -E -E the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. All right, all right. Let's do Dungeons, Dice, and Danger. That sounds so badass when you say it that way. Yeah, I guess we're in accidentally in the Hall back into the Halloween theme, right? Okay, so this comes from uh, Leah Ravensburger in 2022, and I can't say that name without thinking of the Donnie Iris song. Dungeons, Dice, and Danger is a roll and write take on dungeon crawling for one to four players, which I think it actually is like limited to four. I, I don't see why you couldn't go more, but there is like some timing aspects of like who kills mm -hmm. monsters first. So the four is probably by design. Now this is designed by Richard Garfield, who, as we've mentioned in the past, oh. is most famous for his creation of 1997's Dilbert corporate shuffle game. Yes. Does this live up to that sort of hype? We got to start with the flavor, pinch of flavor. Scott, this comes from AmazingThings.com. We're talking dungeons, right? Edward yeah. DeLongshank's Hellhole is located inside the Chillingham Castle in Northumberland, England, which, as oh, yeah. we learned a couple episodes ago, uh, there's a ban on importing wolves in England. But nevertheless, as you can imagine <laughs> from its name, this dungeon was well known for its torture chambers. The Chillingham Castle. Boiling pots. Barrels of spikes, eye gougers, and cages that were filled with starving rats are oh, yes. found in this place, for it was used against their victims. Today, to this day, you can spot scratch marks on the walls. There's evidence of prisoners committing cannibalism with the deceased bodies. Yuck. Mm. And the English believe Chillingham Castle is the most haunted place in the country. Yeah, I could imagine that. Yeah, I don't think I would want to go there. No, but let's no, enter no. Dungeons, Dice, and Danger. So how do we play this one? As I mentioned, it's a roll and write. So as you can imagine, everybody's going to get their own dungeon map. And there's actually multiples. But everybody's going to play with the same map on a player turn. The active player is going to roll four dice, uh, four white dice, that is, and right. one black die. So I guess they're rolling five dice. Uh, using these dice, you're going to make two sets of two. So you're going to pick two dice and make a number and then mm -hmm. pick another two dice, make a number, etc. Those are the numbers that you have to work with to check off various hallways and rooms on your dungeon sheet. Now, everybody else, they get to use the numbers too, but they don't always have access to the black die. In fact, if they want to use the black die, they've got to check off a box on their sheet whenever they use it. Uh, so you only get to do it a few times per game. So what are we checking off with these numbers? Well, the map's got starting areas in green where you have to make your initial check marks. But from there, each hallway, corridor, and room has its own number. It's like in a grid, right? Right. You check off adjacent to where you already have a check mark, and that emulates your characters moving around through this, this dungeon map. Within this map, there are some baddies that you can defeat by rolling their number a few times and allocating the correct result to damage it, as well as a main boss, which functions in much the same way, but takes a lot more hits. Okay. 
And there are some uh, interesting spots on the board, namely treasure spaces, where you get to upgrade your sheet. Like you cross off a treasure and you get to pick one of three different abilities that are listed. So like that's where you can get more uses of opponent's black die or healing, for example. That is a clever way to emulate finding treasure. There's also spaces with gems on them, which for all intents and purposes, they're endgame points, basically. Now, the challenge with the other players comes in the speed at which each player can kill monsters because you're going to get more points for being the first to do so. The game's going to end when one player has defeated all monsters on their player sheet. I hear what you're laying down here. Uh, You got to roll and write. You're rolling some dice. You want to do that. What components come with it? Is it just the pad and the dice? I mean, what all comes in it? Yeah, kind of what you'd expect. Some dice and some sheets. Uh, they're nicely done. The iconography is e- like it's easy to figure out. Nothing, nothing's going to blow you away, right? But I mean, it is a roll and write. So the I'd say the standard is make sure that nothing is disappointing, and nothing was disappointing. Now, seeing this also, I think a lot of times something that goes through my mind. You hear dungeon dice and danger. And I think mm-hmm. it's also one of those things where I look at that I think it would be cool to have like a dungeon delving kind of thing here to really build up the mystery of playing. Is it mysterious? I mean, is it is it fun to play this game? Oh, you're jumping right to the uh to to the end point. Okay, is it it emulates the danger by when you can't use a number, you're going to lose okay. hit points, right? That that's the, sure, the sure. danger okay. aspect. There isn't really any sort of like exploration or uncovering something, at least as far as the the map that we were playing on. Okay. Um, game concept simple. Uh, difficulty can add, it can like amp up a tad if you start getting like dire so results. So it's easy to play and everything like that. Easy to figure out. Sure. Uh, is it fun? You mentioned is it fun? Uh, I I don't know. Um, rolling rights aren't example. They're not like my jam, right? Uh, right. It was right. it was interesting and it was strategic, but I don't know that it was particularly fun. I mean, uh, I enjoyed playing it, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that like my play was with Ryan at mm-hmm. Gen Con. So I, I get to see Ryan three times a year. It's like, dude, I'm hanging out with like, you know, one of my gamer buddies that I only get to play with online, yeah. some different city, drinking beers and playing this. Like that was as much fun. Am I going to randomly like on a game night reach for pulling this one off of the shelf? I don't know. It's it's not a bad game, but it didn't do anything that blew me away. There's nothing particularly exciting. So would you be – you wouldn't be picking this one up or you might pick it up to have an option to play with people? If I hadn't played it, I might buy it going in blind. Having played it, it's not one that I would pick up. Like okay. I was very enticed by it, but I am not going to be picking it up having played it once. Not a problem. Hey, it's one of those things there. I mean, with trying out all these games, it's it's good to get a chance to try these things and see if it's good, see if it's bad. Doing this for, good God, 75 episodes. Hopefully people will hear this. They'll judge on what we like and make their own decision. Then, I mean, this may scratch the itch of someone out there, so. Tell you what it did do was it kept me on the hunt for a roll and write dungeon crawler. So I've been behind the scenes with our local game store. They're like, look, we need better advice on what board games to stock. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, no, I can help you out. Like, I go back with those guys. So they actually, they gave me the password and their login for their distributor. 
that distributes mm-hmm. all the, all the board games. So I'm looking like there's a thousand games in there. Like you got to filter by board game, and some are in stock, some are. So it was kind of a process. But I'm going down the list, and I was like, okay, you got to have a couple copies of this. You got to get a I don't know Carnegie. You should have mm-hmm. a copy of Bard Song. It's an eye catcher. It's probably going to sit for a while because they're not a big board game store. Right. But you got to have something that like people walk in and go, wow, you know, there's something happening on these shelves. Uh, I told them to pick up Paper Dungeons and oh, okay. uh, and they did. They did and they had it for about a week and then I promptly bought it from them. <laughs> <laughs> so, the hunt continues and I was like, you know, maybe if I can learn this. I'll tell you what, two days from now, we're, we're going to be doing our initial play of next episode's review game. I feel like we're going to have some time after we're done playing. It's a long game. Mm-hmm. It, we blocked off the entire day for it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I feel like it's going to end and we're still going to have a couple of hours. If I can learn – it's either going to be First Empires and I can teach you guys that one or we'll do Paper Dungeons. Okay. So, cool, maybe, cool, cool. maybe it'll happen. <laughs> I'm on to you and I'm on to you and I'm on to that little guy with the trumpet. Where is he? Where is he? Gotcha. (laughs) Scott, it is a remarkably quick one today. There's almost nothing to report. Falling Star's dominant species is down two spots to number 85. Change in the top 10, Terraforming Mars moved back into the five spot at the expense of Jaws of the Lion, which bumps down to the six. They were dancing at four and five until Ark Nova came in and bumped them back. Now they're doing the dance at five and six. These games are higher than they've ever been the crew okay. mission deep sea keeps climbing it's up to it's up to number 44 now Ooh. kanban ev which i haven't played i'm terrified of it because it's lacerda and i'm like oh yeah. i don't i don't know if i got that in me it's up to number 78 and great western trail second edition up to 79 it'd be interesting to see if that hits top 10 like first edition did yeah that would be i mean uh you don't have the soulless eyes on the front now so we'll see if that does anything And a very timely happy birthday, Mansions of Madness, second edition, six years. Wow. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. I mean, it seems like it's just like two years, three years. I'll tell you what, Scott, how about I walk us through transmissions and I'll meet you back here in five? That sounds like a plan. Designed by A.B. West and published in 2022 by Crosscut Games, Transmissions is a resource collection game in which one to four players control each of four robots traversing a rondelle-style board. I should probably point out that the artwork in the game and the adorable robots within are from the mind of the game's artist, Matt Dixon. To understand the game, let's call the board a big circle of 14 spaces, two for each location. Now on this board, you place four robot miniatures, then each player gets a deck of seven movement cards, drawing three to create their opening hand. Also, each player has an inset player board depicting each of the four robots, with slots for carrying items, which are basically endgame points, and ideas, which are modifications for that specific robot when you activate it. A turn in transmissions is really simple. You play one card, which allows you to move a robot. You activate the location that the robot moved on to, and then you put your played card on the bottom of your deck, drawing a new one to replace it. So we got to know what do the locations do exactly, and it's actually pretty easy to explain. 
Two of the locations give you resource cubes, or engrams, which are used to purchase endgame points in the form of pipes or ideas, which are available at two other locations. Easy. So what are the final three? Well, the fifth location provides energy, which is simply a third resource type that's often needed when you make a purchase. The sixth location is the forest, which allows you to draw an action card, typically a one-time use card that gives you a special ability for a turn, or resources, or perhaps even points. Finally, there's a location where players can purchase ideas. Like the pipes and items, these have a resource cost, and when acquired, they slot into a robot on your player board, providing it with a special bonus each time you activate it. Now, let's clarify those items and pipes. Items simply slot in your player board and provide endgame points, oftentimes exponentially for multiples of the same thing. Pipes, on the other hand, sit off to the side. Each pipe segment provides points, and by the end of the game, bonus points can be earned for having a long, continuous segment of pipe. The game ends when either a stack of pipes is depleted, the items or ideas are depleted, or if one player fills up all of the robot slots on their player board. At that point, players are going to score points for the items that they've collected, the pipes that they have, any robots on the player board that are full of items and ideas, and finally, and this is kind of neat, I see throughout the artwork on various items and pipes, you might find birds and butterflies, and you get to actually multiply the number of birds times butterflies to score that many additional points. So if my collected items and pipes show two butterflies and five birds, I'll score 10 extra points. Now, normally we suggest that there's a lot of detailed rules that we kind of skipped over in our walkthrough here, but in transmissions, that's about it. The game does have a solo mode and some adjustments for player counts, but this walkthrough sums up what you can expect when transmissions hits your table. Now, how did we feel about it while it was on ours? Let's find out in the 8-bit breakdown of Transmissions. like to do here is we like to break down our review games here into 8 bits, an 8-bit breakdown, if you will. And the first one we do is we break it down for bit number one, the art and components. I gotta mm. say here, you have two different selections here. You have miniatures for the robots. You have standees for the robots. I, I, don't, I don't think... Oh, no, it did come with both, didn't it? Yes. Oh, both of them are in the box. Yes, yes, I did see that's the standees right, I forgot. as well. I was, I was going to say, no, wait, that's not true. That is true. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. But Proceed. These little robots are so damn adorable. I don't see why you would not play with these things all the time. It's a beautiful layout. I mean, it the, the board is very beautiful to look at. Great coloring. The boards that you have to keep track of everything. Well put together, very sturdy. Inset. Um, yeah, the insets on it, so they aren't going to be sliding all over the place. I mean, they really did a great job on this, I think. What do you think? Likewise, uh, the art, anybody that looks at that box and isn't intrigued is not a gamer. Yeah, that means you. No, I, I mean, <laughs> it sucks you in. Yeah, I saw that box while it was on Kickstarter and almost went in blind. I was like, I don't know what's going on in this game, but it looks cool. I'm intrigued and I, I'm willing to take a risk on this. Uh, I don't read how to play games. When people are like, oh, you really should have the rule book on your Kickstarter so I can see how to play. I'm like, what the hell are these people doing? You just buy it <laughs> blind. What? Come on. 
Now, the, the art is minimal beyond that, though. I do love that they have the birds uh, throughout. When oh, it, yes. I forgot about end, that. You get to count up your birds and, and see how many birds. What is not birds and bees? Birds and – oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's the end game scoring? Uh, butterflies. Birds and butterflies. That's – oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I I love the that they incorporate something like that, and you know I don't know that that's necessarily art and components, but it is part of the game, and I really like that. Those minis that you talked about, absolutely, they they're the they're the eye catcher, they're the focal mm-hmm. piece of the game. If somebody's going, oh, what's that? It's because of those minis, and there are four different colors. They have a wash on them, which uh, and I'll I'll try and explain it. I always leave it on you since you're the wash guy, but correct me if I'm wrong. It's a very thin, very thin layer of like a watered-down paint that mm-hmm. you can brush over a miniature. And because it's very thin, it's going to keep like seeping through the crevices and cracks until it finally settles deep in all the nooks and crannies. And that makes all the little details of the miniature pop, right? Exactly. Yeah. They put a little extra pigment in it, but keep it very, very thin. So it does fall in there. Shout out to Non Oil. You know who you are if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, the minis and transmissions, absolutely phenomenal. And I do have to say the insert doesn't suck. Yes. You know how most inserts are like, well, this is useless. That insert, they put some thought into it. It is a good insert. So kudos. That said, let's move to bit number two, the theme and immersion. And Scott, I'm going to take the floor here because I'm going to get right into the intro in the rule book. You know how most rule books you flip to page two and it's like – in a barren landscape where water is the most precious resource. And it gives you like, you know, the, the setting of the game, the theme yeah. of the game. Okay, let's let's see what they have to say about right. transmissions. You ready? <clears throat> yeah. In the game, players will share robots as workers to move around a rondelle-styled board, collecting engrams and electricity. These are used to gather ideas to improve your use of the robots or items to score points at the end of the game. You'll also build your own set of connected, flowing pipes while gathering birds and butterflies to score even more points. (laughs) The game ends when no ideas are left, a player's robots are complete, or there are no pipes left to build. The player with the highest total score wins. Dude, Um. they couldn't even think up a theme to put in the in the very beginning of that. Uh, that puts things into perspective. The game describes its theme with the mechanisms of play. There's basically no theme here. But yeah, I mean, I even looked on the website. Uh, the artwork is from Matt Dixon, who apparently has made all sorts of these, these robot illustrations. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe there's something on his website. Maybe he's fleshed out a world here beyond just the artwork. I couldn't find anything. Um, I think they wrote the rule book after they played the game and they were out of ideas. Something. Maybe some folks like the ambiguity. Like, this could be years after humans are extinct. That works. True, 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 true. An abandoned island? An abandoned planet? Like a different Earth? Uh, What's going on here? I don't know, but uh, I'm glad you said that because, yeah, I – I didn't really feel a theme here. It was just running around in a circle, picking things up. Uh-huh. And that was that was pretty much it. So I wasn't uh, really immersed. And uh, also with the gameplay, you aren't playing with like one robot. You're moving around all the different robots. So it's not like you are emotionally attached to one robot over the other ones. No. So no. It's, it makes it a little more difficult there as well. I like to think because the items are like 
shoes, a coffee mug, socks. Mm-hmm. Like there's humans somewhere. Uh, they, they either are somewhere or they were somewhere. So I'm thinking that either they're in like an abandoned part of the world or it's like a charming, happy post-apocalyptic. <laughs> <laughs> Bit number three, complexity. This is a lighter game for sure. I was actually kind of surprised, Scott, when I read Nikki let me borrow this. This was found in Nikki's basement. Ooh. And uh, yeah, she let me borrow this one. And I read through the rule book and it was like six pages. I mean, if you took away the art and the examples in the rule book, you could squeeze it onto a front and back. It's a game <laughs> where you're moving around one big seven location rondelle, collecting stuff, trading it in for other stuff that's worth points. Uh, it's nice to move based on cards rather than dice. So I guess there's complexity. Like you get six cards. You have three in your hand. You play one. It goes to the mm-hmm. bottom of your deck. End of turn, draw a new. That's different than dice. So complexity? <laughs> I am not. I don't want to skip ahead to a, the next bit. But yeah, it's not very complex. I mean, you know what you want to do. Yeah, there's really no complexity to this game at all. That doesn't mean that it makes it a bad game. It's just... Very easy to grasp and, and play the game. Yeah, I think it's refreshing to hear, oh, there's there's very little complexity. Yes, yes. Well, let's move then to bit number four, the rule book and the learning curve. I'll take the rule book, you take the curve. All right. Rule book's top notch. It's colorful, big illustrations. Uh, it's thorough, and it's got that reference and glossary in the back so that you can quickly and easily clarify anything that might hold a player up. And Scott, I keep waiting for a game that has a rule book that we could just skewer. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> lately, every time we, we do that, it's been like 20 games in a row. We're like, oh, the rule book's fantastic. Rule book's yeah, top yeah. notch. And this is just another – like, I feel like we're running the risk of sounding like we just brush past the rule book, but we don't. This just so happens to be another excellent one by – and I don't think that we're like holding it to our standard. I don't think that we have no, low no. standards for a rule book. I think that – Somebody who's not a gamer could pick this up and within 15 minutes, thanks to that rule book, be like, well, I'm, I'm up and running. Absolutely. And the learning curve is so very, very simple. I mean, you play the card, you move the robot. Uh-huh. Uh, you play the card, you move the robot that's in that area. That's all there is to it. it very, very simple to pick up. Very intuitive. So once you go around two turns, maybe you should be well-equipped to play this game the whole you know way through. You everything you're doing. Yes. Number five. This is going to be an interesting one. The meat of the game. For me, I don't know. This was almost like a vegetarian game. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I don't know if there was that much meat here because a lot of it is just moving around, picking up cubes, using the cubes to buy different things. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. And it just got to the point of like, if there had to be any sort of meat anywhere, it would be more luck driven as is the person before you going to pick the piece that you want or the pipe that you want? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they going to grab that thing before you do? That's really the only main conflict i could see that happens in this game that you really get hung up on what what did you think i think i'm gonna paraphrase what you just said basically okay so the meat of the game is making a determination on whether you're going to go for a specific type of item so i'll I'll say i don't know if this is the exact wording of the tile but the coffee mug item for example on the left it'll have a one 
a three, and a seven. So if you get one coffee mug, it's worth one point. Mm-hmm. If you get two of them, it's worth three points a piece. But if you get all three of them, they're seven points a piece. Uh, a piece. Holy smokes! You know that that's big. Yeah. It's trying to figure out: Are you going to go for coffee mugs? Are you going to go for connecting pipes or amping up your right. robots? You put those little idea things. You slot them into the player board with a robot. And it's like, hey, every time I move this robot, I get to do X, Y, or Z. That's cool. Or are you going to do some combination of everything? And I think that this is a game where, unfortunately, it's almost always by design going to come down to having to play some combination of everything. And I say unfortunately because I think you're going to find that you can't strategically plan anything. You don't Mm -hmm. know what the next item or idea or pipe segment that flips up is going to be. You have a market of four, sure. But if your coffee mug's not there and somebody buys an item – you rotate the market. Hey, look, a coffee mug. You don't know when that's going to happen. Right. You just kind of have to go with what's available when your turn comes up. And that made it tougher, especially with three or four players, to sort of pre-plan. You don't have control over where the robots are going to be on your turn, right? It, it's entirely mm-hmm. a tactical game. You have three cards in your hand. You map out what options you can do at the start of your turn. You don't even get to look ahead and think about it because two or three of the robots are going to move or the market's going to change. And all you do is at the start of your turn, okay, I can do these three things and which one's the best option. And you know what? I don't think that the best is that far differentiated from the worst option. Mm -hmm. To your point, games are meaty when they have clear-cut strategic decisions, tactical and strategic. Strategic, think long-term. Tactical, think in the here and now. And when a game doesn't have a clear-cut strategic path or something that you can carve out and find a way to do it better than other people. If I'm shooting for those coffee mugs, Scott, and I, and I have one, and somebody else buys one, then there's only one more left in there. And whoever gets it, just made their first mug worth three and their second – they're getting five mm-hmm. more points on account of getting that second one. There is no way to put yourself in a better position to get it. It's just going to come up at some point. So right. you and I are competing over coffee mugs. Meanwhile, Brennan's got two socks. You know, each of them have a bird on them and something uh, flips up and it has it has a butterfly and it's – well, he's going to run away with it on that. It's, I think it's a – combination of having to do everything, almost like a a point salad where there's no one area that you can hone in on. Right, right. Yeah. And whenever you said this, it did bring a thing to my mind here as far as the meat of the game. And and I don't know if it's not really a meat that you're sitting down and savoring. I mean, it's just one that it's, oh, bologna that's also on the plate with the other meat that you want. The fact that you don't have any one certain robot that you're working with, everyone is moving all the robots at different times, that creates a a different feeling whenever you're playing this game here. It's a unique feeling. I liked it, but it was one of those games that I'm not sure I'm trying to think of games off the top of my head where everyone moves every all the other pieces. You don't have like your own piece that you're taking care of, or if, if you know what I mean. Nor do you have a, a hand of cards that are specific to you as a player. Like, okay, my cards have an extra two red robot symbols, so I'm a little bit better at moving the red robot. Right, yeah. You don't even have that. Right, exactly. Yeah, so. I guess you can, well, this will kind of take us into replayability and variability, because you do have mm-hmm. a couple of variables here, and, and the one that I was going to talk about was the uh, the uh, 
what the ideas that you can buy. And they slot into your robot. And one of them, for example, might say anytime that you move this robot, you gain an energy. So if I put that in the red robot, well, now I'm suddenly incentivized to move the red robot because I get a free energy every time I do it. Uh, and there are several things. You're allowed to move this robot counterclockwise. A lot of cool little things in there. Plus, you have different item sets and idea sets to choose from. So I might play with, if I'm doing a three-player game, I might pick uh, A, B, and C, this game, for the ideas. And then next game, I might pick C, D, and G. And we're going to play with those ones. And they play not different. They don't play differently, but they score a little bit differently. They add a, a few different, uh, uh, we'll say, variables in the game. I think that's where the bulk of the variability is going to come from. I guess the action cards can spice up play too. You have that deck of action cards up in the forest up to the top right. But having said all that, the game follows the same arc every time. Play a card, move a robot, get a thing, or trade in things for points, right? That is mm-hmm. that is the arc. And, and I say that often. This game follows an arc. We say that a bit, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I'll give you an example. Let's look at Clank. You're always shooting for essentially the same goal in the same way you've done in every other play. But the tools that you're offered and what you select has a big impact on play. You throw in that like control of noise, the pulling of cubes from the bag, the decision of what artifact you want to get, and the tempo of the game. Did somebody get in and get out real quickly? Well, that's going to change your play. That's a lot of variability in a game that has the same arc of play. Mm-hmm. Now, for transmissions... I don't think you're ever going to play the game and feel like it was wildly different from literally every other time you've played the game. I don't. I think in spite of the minor changes, several of them that you have with the ideas and the pipes and whatnot, I don't think that it equates to replayability. What did you think? Uh, maybe you can change my mind if you were uh, thinking the opposite. Replayability and variability of transmissions. Well, I do agree that the variability that really comes into whenever you're putting the ideas into the robots, because that is the real customization that you can do with these. That's Mm -hmm. the main thing that you can make different from everyone else. Yeah, that's yours. Um, Exactly. Replayability. This one, I think, has a limited replayability. I I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit. I thoroughly enjoyed playing this. I really did. Do I want to play it again? Yes, I want to play it again because it was absolutely delightful. There wasn't much thinking in it, but still there was enough like what color of the Ingrams do I want to have? Do I need yellow ones? Do I need blue ones? What do I need this turn? So there was enough thinking with that, but it wasn't one that was like pounding on you about not a brain to do this at the exact time that you need it. So you had a lot of freedom to do what you wanted to do here. Variability, like I said, it comes with the ideas. Replayability, it's there for a little while. It's not one that I think I would play over and then once we're done, let's play it again. No, it's one that would come out like once once a month or something. It's it's one of those old chestnuts that you might have laying around that it's like, let's play this because it's not going to take that long to relearn the rules. You have a good time playing it. You're stretching mind a little bit, but still having a social time around the game. Scott, my first downside, and you started to allude to this, was I think this game's going to get very samey real quick. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what are your downsides? Bit number seven. Well, uh, and that was basically what I was going to say there is the downsides are also the replayability upsides. 
yes, it's easy to play this game because you don't have a lot to go into with relearning the rules or anything like that at all. But then again, it's not one of those ones. The price to fund ratio of this game, I don't think is really there. If they had another version with just the standees and not the big plastic models that sold for $25 less, maybe. I mean, that's that's something there. But I think that the fun to cost ratio is not really there. Okay. Um, it, it's it's a nice display. It looks great on the table. You really kind of get into the moment whenever you're moving the things around. It's great grabbing hold of that robot, boom, 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 playing around there. But it's not enough to really keep you coming back. The downside and the upside are kind of intertwined. Sure, it's sure. Really in the ease of play, where it's easy to learn to play, but it's not going to have that challenge to really keep you coming back to it. What did you think? I had one other to include, and that was that this ties into that coffee mug example where two people are trying to to shoot right. for it, right? There isn't any planning that goes into that. And and that might be the biggest downside to me is that there's almost no strategic decisions to make. There's tactical, sure, but not strategic. Uh, I said already, strategy, think long-term and tactics as like decisions in the here and now. Scott, if I want to lose 20 pounds, my strategy might be eat healthy and run. Now, if I wake up tomorrow and I opt for oatmeal instead of Pop-Tarts, well, that's tactics. That's a tactical decision, right? Mm-hmm. That's maybe the, the way I think that maybe I'm totally off base at that, but hey, that's that's how my brain works. <laughs> this is an all tactics game. And for me, that's a glaring downside. Yes, yes. I, I could definitely see that. Well, Let's go to bit number yeah, eight. Yeah, I, I know you eight. already spoiled yourself. Uh, you, you go ahead and take the floor. Was it fun? And who's it for? Yes, it was fun. I had a delightful time playing this game. It reminded me in some ways of lockup, where you're going around and getting your things to certain places, collecting the cubes to buy things, and you want to get like so many of them. Where in lockup, you're trying to get so many of the uh, guards to help you out in jail and all these different things like that. So I really felt that this is a lighter version of lockup. It was a fun game. It's one that I think you can draw people that aren't really into gaming. Uh, Like, I might be able to bring my wife into playing this game because there's not that much to it. It's cute. It has a nice display and everything whenever you're playing it. Something light, something that you can play if you have like a double date night and you have dinner and you just want to play a game afterwards, something light or something like that. It really fits that bill for that. Well, Scott, I'm going to be a little bit the, on the opposite. I, I'm not going to beat around the bush. For me, it just wasn't fun. I, I don't feel like I have any real agency in transmissions apart from the minor tactical decision that I make on each turn. And frankly, it's an easy decision from a small decision tree. And it just didn't do anything for me. I hate to be blunt, but they got to be really happy with the artwork on the cover and those cute robot miniatures because without them, there's just not enough under the cover, mm-hmm. not not enough in the box for me. But that said, now who's it for? Okay, adventure. You're the type of person that's listening to a board game podcast on your way to work. You're jonesing for your next game day, so you can rack your brain and out with your friends, right? For you, this is probably going to be a letdown. But if you're trying to find a game that you can play with non-gamers 
You're going to have – and Scott, I said the same thing. You're going to have a couple over for a double date for dinner. (laughs) If you're doing that sort of thing, I think that this is a game that's going to give – here's what it has going for it. It's going to give every player something to do on each of their turns where they're going to feel like they did something. A non-gamer can make mediocre decisions all game and they can still walk away with a respectable score. Even if they didn't win, even if they didn't play optimally, they can still have a good time playing it. All that said, for me, it's a hard pass. Okay, but yeah, I I like where you went with that. Let's talk look back. All right. You got a thing? Okay. He's got a thing. Yes, I got a thing. (laughs) So yes, one year ago, we reviewed Cryo. Now, in Cryo, is a mission gone wrong? Tensions continue to mount aboard your colony ship as the days dragged on. An anonymous act of sabotage has sent the ship plummeting to the surface of a frozen, uncharted planet. Damage beyond repair, the scattered remains will do little to protect you from the brutal cold. So, yes, we played Cryo. Cryo, I picked that one up just as on a whim. I look, I saw it on the shelf and I'm like, this looks kind of interesting. I mean, the, this is going to be good. The front of the cover, you have the spaceship, like the engines are blowing up, just plummeting towards the uh, the planet. Now, in this, you're sending out drones to get all these different uh, supplies and everything to save the people on the on the ship. You want to get mm-hmm. all the suspended animation pods and get them underground so they stay warm and they survive. There's a lot of neat things in this. The cards can be used for different things for different four ships. Four different ways, right? Uh, yeah. Three or, four, three or four different ways, yes. Whenever we were at PGX, somebody had this out, and they were getting yes. ready to play it. And I was like, whoa. It hasn't come back to the table, but this is always it, – it's stuck in a place in the back of my head and everything. It's kind of there. And whenever I saw that, that cracked that door open, that little space there, and – I'm thinking, I need to get this game back out and, and play it again. I did really enjoy it. Whenever I played it and got the rules down and got the game in, it was like, whoa, this is a great game. You have so many things, ways of customizing stuff. I'm upset that I haven't gotten back to the table or anything like that. I really do want to get it back. I want to play it again here very soon. It's funny how some games can hang out on our shelf and just go unplayed and we're like, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm not getting rid of it. You're just – you're biding your time. Like, ah, I just couldn't find the time to get this one to the table, but I know I'm gonna. Mm-hmm. I know I like it when I do. This this sounds like it fits that bill for you. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. Now, I don't think it's come to your table since it's still sitting in my house. Uh, yeah, but what are your thoughts uh, your on copy. it? I really like this. Uh, it's like worker placement with those – with those um, with the drones yes. that you're sending out. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. I love – Love that you get to build that engine. Yes. Um, You get to like take those little pieces and put them on your engine board that you get to trigger at the end of the turn. But what's neat is that it has diminishing returns. Uh, No matter how efficiently you build that engine, the game's going to go for only so long before the planet's going to freeze over. And in those last couple of turns, one thing that we said last year and I think remains true is that it doesn't do you much good to run the engine on the last turn Mm -hmm. or the turn before that, right? Like there comes a point where it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. You couple that engine building with a timing element. Cryo did that really well and I thought that was a lot of fun to play with. And 
you know what? I'm not necessarily itching to, you know, get in a game of this, but I really did enjoy it. I don't think I would ever turn down a play. Okay. Well, that's two of us that are just like, yeah, this needs to get back to the table here. Me a little bit more than you, but you still won't turn down a play of it if it shows up. Absolutely not. Are we recommending it? I definitely think so. Yeah, there's enough customization to it and enough of a, a new feeling to that game there. I definitely say I recommend. Likewise, it's approachable, yet there's depth. I think it's a great game for your step up from non-gamers, your casuals that want to learn a little bit more. This one's got some meat on the bone. Good way of putting it. Brave adventurers, Mondo Games has joined our party. Get 10% off your purchase with Mondo Games using promo code LEVELUP, L-E-V-E-L-U-P. You can go straight to their website or just click the Mondo button on our homepage at levelupgamepodcast.com. Want to expand your options in Unmatched? Enjoy a solo game of A Gentle Rain. Or maybe you're getting fired up for The Thing, Infection at Outpost 31. Don't just score some loot, get 10% off with promo code LEVELUP. Oh, Scott, I told you we were going to do a slightly quicker episode, so let's keep it that way. We've got PAX on the horizon, I think. So I messaged you, or what, a few days ago, and I was like, dude, we need a good good discussion topic. What's going to fit the bill? And before you messaged me back, you said you were out running. And I was like, okay, well, if Scott's running, I don't want to bug him by sending him a message. So I was writing down some some ideas and I thought, oh, you know what we could talk about is working a booth at a con because we've both done it several times and we're both going to be doing it at PAX. So I thought, ah, that's perfect. But you messaged me before I could send it to you and you said, let's talk games that we're looking forward to at PAX. And I thought, bingo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have the early look. The BGG list is up. Some of the things that you're going to be able to get a firsthand look at at PAX, or in some cases, it's just not out yet, but you may have seen it at Gen Con or Essen if you're across the pond. Scott, let's talk about some games that we're looking forward to at PAX. Okay. Well, one of the first ones that jumps in my mind whenever I was looking at it is Galenus. I believe that's how you pronounce it but is that inappropriate i didn't say galenus is that inappropriate that's inappropriate yes now you have me what is that all right gal gal nuss galamimus the fastest dinosaur anyway this one here you're practicing medicine in imperial oh you're gonna have to spell it you're gonna (laughs) let's start this give give me a spelling g-a-l-e-n-u-s okay and is that in some way like you said, oh, no, I didn't say that, and that's the inappropriate word. I want to know what's the inappropriate word. Well, it wasn't. I was just making it up. Oh, uh, wait. Oh, I get it. You said gal anus yes. because it had anus in it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but yes, in this game here, you're practicing medicine in Imperial Rome. There's one doctor above all others, this Galenus. He's influenced by the theory of humorism, the idea that all ailments are caused by an imbalance of the four fluids, black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. It's a worker placement game where you plan to do up to six actions, then decide when and how to resolve them. The board looks great. It it reminds me of uh, that game uh, Origins that we got a while back we uh, reviewed. 
the look I, of it. I loved Origins. Yeah, the look of it really looks great and everything. There's a lot of stuff here. What you want to do is you can choose to recruit and treat patients. You can gain knowledge in one of the four humors that I mentioned. You can publish works based on that knowledge, acquire herbs, rejuvenate in the baths, or adopt a new philosophy. There's a lot of things that are going on in this. And I'm interested to see how they all interact with each other. So this one here is one that I'm really, truly looking forward to. Yeah, early on, uh, ratings are, I mean, there aren't many ratings up so far. 30 ratings and only 19 comments, but the handful of comments uh, tend to be good. It's showing, and I don't know how true this is because games are not but it is showing a weight of 4.00. I'm guessing that that's going to come down as more people right. give a their input on the weight. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it looks very, very cool there. I'm very anxious to give that one a try. Well, Scott, you know, one of my favorite things on planet Earth is beer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love my carbs, too. There's a game called Beer and Bread, which some folks had to look at at Essen. Have you heard of this one? Actually, I have that on my list of things I want to check out. Oh, should I wait? Should I hold off on oh, no, Beer No, and bread? no, 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 no. It's not one of the top three, but yeah, I'm anxious to see what you okay. have to say about so it. So we'll do three each. I didn't want to take one of your no, three. No, 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 yeah, no. Yeah, it's, no, uh, it's from Pegasus Spiel. This is from designer Scott Alms, and we love Scott yes. Alms around here. Scott, I'm going to go right off of BGG. Beer and Bread is a multi-use card game for two players. Its clever structure of alternating rounds puts a fascinating twist on player interaction, card drafting, and resource management. Founded on the fruitful lands of an erstwhile monastery, two villages have held up the dual tradition of brewing beer and baking bread. While sharing fields and resources, they still find pride in their friendly rivalry of besting each other's produce. So first impression is like, okay, so yeah, you're making beer and bread, but tell me this is another farming game. You know what? I don't hate farming games though. Mm -hmm. I, at the end of the day, I don't think that that necessarily uh, is the death knell for a game. The farming themes can be fun, damn it. <laughs> that they can my understanding, you can get resources while things are plentiful and bountiful, but there's also a dry season. So there's a, a timing element as to when you're going to be harvesting. Uh, you're looking to produce beer and bread, sell them for coins, upgrade your facilities. However, in order to win, and I like this in games too, we had this in between two cities, you're going to have your baked and liquid goods and whatever you scored lower on is your high score. That That's what okay. you finish with. So if you, if you got a 10 and an 8, your final score is is an right. eight. I like to see that in games. I'm intrigued. The artwork is cool. The concept of it is neat. Two players with a, a varying timing with when you get the resources, couple in the multi-use cards. I could see this one coming to the table a bit. Yeah, I, I think that does look very cool there. I mean, like I said, it's on my long list of things I'm looking forward to uh, at PAX. So I'm anxious mm -hmm. to see how it plays out. Well, I'm anxious to see what's next on your list. Well, the next one that I have is The Great Split. Now, mm -hmm. in The Great Split, you draft cards to collect riches such as gems, gold, artwork, and tomes, adding them to mm -hmm. your collection to make it the most prestigious of all. You start each round by splitting your cards into two groups. Then you pass your wallet, or your extra cards, to the player on your left. But only one group okay. of cards will be given back to you. You split those cards... And then they choose. So you get the eye split, you choose mechanic in mm -hmm. there. Very cool. So what happens is you're going to get the same cards from the player on your right. So they're going to pass them to the left. So you're going to get more cards to go through there. It seems like it's going to be a take on seven wonders. And 
I mean, Seven Wonders, I absolutely adore. That is a great game, and it looks like it's taking some of the mechanics of it, but adding a little twist to it. Because depending on how each player builds their collection, different riches will take on a different value for each of them. So very similar mm-hmm. to whenever you're using the sciences in Seven Wonders, where if you go for all of one type, you'll get some number of points. If you go for all three, you'll get more points and so on and so forth. So it's something there that looks like it's going to be an interesting take on Seven Wonders, where that one there, I've never had a time that I, well, no, I take it back. I had one time whenever I did play it, I actually had to yell at somebody to shut up, but that's beside the point. But this looks like it's going to be a fun game there to try out a nice twist on a game that a lot of people are familiar with. Sounds fun. Yeah, 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 definitely. So I'm looking forward to that one. So I think you probably have another one. Scott, have you seen Rise? I did see that, yes. Is that also on your list? Uh, No, it's not. (laughs) It's not on there. Okay, fair enough. Rise, it's also got the multi-use cards. First thing that drew me in was the box cover. Box cover looks really cool. It's like these people in smoke, like rising mm-hmm. from the background. So I guess you are like controlling a city in this game and you need to keep the population happy. But part of that is like, don't over pollute, you know, like the, there's conservation it is mindful. Cards have some nice artwork on them, but never mind that. This game has 10 tracks right 10 different tracks so like you can go up or down on this track that track this track and i think a lot of it it revolves around the card play and bumping up on these tracks i think what's getting me sucked in was like my first thought with beyond the sun i was like okay so it's tech tree the board game Mm -hmm. and you know what i love it i absolutely love it this could be Advancement Tracks, the board game. And you know, other games with Advancement Tracks, I tend to love those too. Like um, I talked recently about Planet Unknown. Right. Has it? Oh, what's the Civ one that – Tapestry. Tapestry yes. is like Advancement Tracks, the game. I just envision this as being – and the tracks have like spots where you move up this track. It's going to trigger you to pick two other tracks to bump up one spot. And hey, that triggered this. And I like that too in a board game. Whenever you can have multiple triggers, like chaining actions right. together, makes you feel powerful. So I'm looking to see how Rise pulls it off. Very, very cool. What do you got next year? Uh, third game. We'll do three each. So give us one. That more. sounds good. My next one is I've been seeing this coming up a lot of from a lot of different people, and that is Lacrimosa. So in oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that one too. Lacrimosa, you take on the role of the late musician, I believe it's uh, Mozart. You're contributing their fundings to the composer's work one last time. During the game, you mm-hmm. play in two different timelines, the present and the past. So in the present, you will commission missing parts of the Requiem, the, the big epic piece that he was working on, from other composers in order to complete it. When developing past events... The game takes place in five epochs in which you contribute by buying new compositions from the composer to sell or exhibit. So it seems like there are some touches of thieves in this in a a little bit where you're going out into the desert, digging up for different things, putting on display in order to make money to go out and dig up other things and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. it's it does sound like it's going to be interesting. The board looks absolutely gorgeous. It's busy as hell, but I like it in this thing here. And it's just such a unique theme that I'm really drawn into it. So I'm anxious to see how it works out. 
It looks like it's got the potential to be complex. Yes, there very is a much lot so. going on on that board. Oh my, yes, yes, there is. Uh, so, what is your third and final one? Can I do an honorable mention? You can do whatever you want, there, Patrick. <laughs> Hooray! I just, I have to point out mists of Carcassonne. Mm-hmm. Did you see that in the yes, previous list? Yes, listing? I did. Uh, co-op, I guess, I, and I didn't read much into it aside from the fact that it is a co-op version of Carcassonne and my guess is that there's ghosts somehow invading or being incorporated because that's what's on the box cover. Right. That was the extent of my research. Uh, what I do think is kind of cool is Carcassonne was one of those like games that got me into it. Sure, yeah. You know, I think, what, like 20 years ago. I would come home from college on the weekends to play some Axis and Allies, and then we would play Settlers for hours. And <laughs> one of the games that got into our rotation was uh, Carcassonne. Regularly was in the like we would play it, we'd finish, we'd set it up, we'd play again, and just three hours for an evening. We would just man, we're going to play Carcassonne all night. Carcassonne has expansions to keep it fresh, oh, yeah. But I never like oh I I need to go deeper into the world of Carcassonne. Yeah, you know, it just it never grabbed me that way, but. If I'm trying to capture that like nostalgic, hey guys, we used to do this when we were, you know, <laughs> 20 years old, and and we play this game for hours. Maybe being co-op is the thing that could do it. But the third one that I have on my list is a game called Revive, and mm. I can't speak too much to Revive because it looks like it is quite a complex game, and I don't want to sell it short. What it does have, though, <clears throat> first and foremost, you got a box cover with like this yellow flower on it. And I'm like, what is – is this another nature game? Do we need another <laughs> nature? Like, it's not that. You're reviving civilization 5,000 years after everything was destroyed. You got a one to four player, asymmetric player power game. You've apparently got a, a highly variable setup. The game doesn't have fighting or direct conflict, which I kind of like, but – I guess a lot of people don't. So, okay, I'm all right with a Civ game not having that. You play through a five-part campaign that unlocks additional contents. And once all the content has been unlocked, the game can be replayed indefinitely. So, I don't like to think of that as like, oh, so you only get one shot at the campaign. No, I look at it like, no, when the campaign's over, that's your game. And you get a little bonus. Hey, when you buy this, here's a campaign to play through to, to start, right? Yeah. It's got the multi-use cards. Uh, it looks like it's a meaty game. I love Civ Builders. I love asymmetric powers in a game. I can't wait to find out more about what's going on in Revive. That's one that I'm going to be looking to uh, to get in a demo. Very cool. So, yeah, it seems like we're going to be pretty busy at PAX. Now, I know I'm going to be working with Berkey and Game Topper. So, we are. I'm going to be actually in the first look area. So he's going to be set up there with his game toppers and everything. So stop on by and say, hey, and uh, hopefully we can get some games in. And do you know where you're going to be working at? Or Well, let me ask you, do you have your work times yet? Do you know that like, I what do your not schedule yet. is? No, I will get that okay. in a little uh, while. I'm doing board game tables again. Awesome. I had a blast showing off their games. I think they're they were extraordinarily polite. Uh, they're people persons or person people. So I'm really looking forward to working with them again. I'm going to be doing, I think, 10 to 2, all three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You can come and play some uh, some board game tables games with me. I'll show you how to play any of their stuff. I know them all. And <laughs> fortunately, they're all really easy to learn. So when Nikki's like, you got to learn like eight games to demo, but they're all like five minutes. Like it, it, She said eight games. I was like, what? <laughs> 
Oh my, maybe uh, like we said, we'll make that our discussion for next time is a little bit of behind the scenes of what it's like when you work for someone at a convention. Yes, yes. That sounds like a good one there. All right. Well, it's come to the end of yet another episode. My God, it's the end of episode 75. I cannot believe we've been doing this this many of them. But it's been a great run, and we're looking forward to many, many more here. But uh, at the end of our shows, we always like to take a look and see how we leveled up in the real world here and, and how things have worked out and how board gaming how we've gotten it doesn't have to just be in the we're 75 episodes in your level up is allowed to be like i won a game of twilight imperium (laughs) it's allowed to be in the in the hobby well it's somehow how you got experience points in real life okay okay fair enough so that could be winning a game it could be any number of things there so my level up for this time and this seems kind of silly is that I've been playing more games with more people on BGA and just having a great time trying out all sorts of new stuff and going back Mm -hmm. and visiting old ones that I know that I haven't been just playing over and over and over. And it's, it's great to see the variety of the games that you can play, and it really makes you appreciative of this hobby gaming world that we're in. There are so many great things out there, so many great themes, just having a great time playing these. You know, they got Nova Luna in beta. Oh, well, I know that teacher Ryan was saying obsession might be coming. So I don't know. <gasps> I know. Hey, you still owe us to to walking. Oh yes. Yes. Well, I've been so busy. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness. So you owe us to to walking. You give us excuses. Oh, I know. I know. I'm in demand. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's true. <laughs> so how Good did you level up Patrick? I don't know if this is a level up. I, I'm Scott, it's been a wonderful three and a half years of not being employed, <laughs> of being a stay-at-home dad and just taking odd jobs when I feel like it. But all good things must come to an end. I am out of retirement. I'm pulling a Brett Favre. Oh, bad reference right there. Didn't he, he got in trouble, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm pulling a Tom Brady. No, I'm not getting divorced. <laughs> Wow, I I can't get a good segue no, here. No. I got a job, Scott. I started – I'm going to be a part-time teller. I'm getting back into banking. I used to – I don't even know if you know this, but I used to work in like security and fraud, like back office Ooh. tapping into cameras at banks and, and like catching who's using someone else's card at ATMs. Like we would actually coordinate with police. So like this is definitely a step back to a beginner role like what I did a long time ago. I'm going to be a part-time teller uh, just dole out people's money all day. Hey, uh, coming from uh, I know my years of managing a hotel, sometimes it's nice to be able to just go in, do your job and go home. That My thoughts – Exactly. Yes, 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 yes. Well, good for you and best of luck on that. Adventurers, thank you so much for joining us for episode 75 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Make sure you get on over to Kickstarter and check out Super Snipers as well as Cause Moctopus. Those two are currently live. They're two games that we believe in. Stick around next episode, episode 76. We're going to be talking War Room. Scott, until next time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. 
That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.